America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Um, I can't wait for this opening segment here. But first, I just got to, like, this <laughs> This is the craziest thing. And I wonder how much news this is going to get. I just don't know what to do. Uh, the, the, did you hear about the guy? I'm just reading about it here. The guy who, the American soldier who walked over the border into North Korea. <laughs> what? So it seems like he defected. So we have, a, we have an American, Travis King in his, is his name, who was stationed in South Korea, who walked across the border willingly and knowingly into North Korea and, and is now in their custody. So you're like, well, that's the craziest thing. Why would you, why would you defect into North Korea? And then you find out that he just got out of a South Korean jail for assault and he was being escorted back to the airport to come back to America to face discipline, uh, disciplinary action by the U.S. military. So he was going to be probably thrown in a military prison for, I don't know, we don't know what the exact charges were, just assault. But his future didn't look bright in America. So he decided to roll the dice and skip over to North Korea. So I got a lot of questions first. Do, does he think... Do we think North Korea is going to treat him like a king? Are they be like, oh, here's this great American defector and, and use him as this propaganda tool and put him on TV and, and create him like some sort of hero? Like, oh, look, he's coming over to our side because we're the best and they're the worst. Are they going to treat him like that or are they just going to let him starve to death in a North Korean prison camp? I don't know. Uh, but then what do we do? Do we let him die in a North Korean prison camp? Do we... Let him be a propaganda tool over there because, like, who really cares? Or do we go over and get him and bring him back and hang him ourselves? Because you can't do that. You can't defect to the other side. So, I mean, we got like, he's got to go to jail for a long time or just I don't know what you do with him, right? Um, but that's, I, like, I don't know. That's just something. I'll throw it out there. But I got something else we got to chat. We can get back to that. I just had to get that off my chest. The big story today is the January 6th investigation jack smith is the special counsel oh special counsel uh by the way we needed a special prosecutor because we don't want to have any conflict of interests all right we don't want any conflict of interest with such an important case like this it's a big country so we can certainly find someone without a conflict of interest right so they found jack smith turns out his wife is the producer of a michelle obama documentary and has donated thousands of dollars to the Joe Biden re-election campaign or election campaign in 2020, which to me seems conflict of interesty. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, I don't know what normal conflict of interest, like what reaches that bar. That sounds like it hits the bar and would not be the guy that you should in fact go with. But the investigation into January 6th and, and, and the insurrection and Donald Trump was told that he is a target of the investigation, which means another indictment is coming. I am so, I'm so sick of January 6th. J6. January 6th was such a nothing sandwich compared to what they're making it out to be. I, I can't believe that we can live in such a country that people can get away with acting as if it this was an insurrection. Like if you ever talk to someone 
who was involved in a real insurrection. What do you mean real insurrection, Slater? Uh, I don't know. One with guns and a plan and someone in charge and a real effort to do something. And if you were talking to that person and you're like, oh, yeah, I know, I know. well, we lived through our own insurrection attempt here in America. The guy would be like, oh, what happened? <laughs> well, it's pretty harrowing. Uh, well, there's a guy in a Viking hat. And he walked around for a while. And then this other guy, he went outside the speaker's office and put his feet on the secretary's desk and stole an envelope. So, yeah, yeah, there's that. And then in the aftermath, because, you know, like all the destruction, one of the congressmen had to pick up a, a empty water bottle that was on the ground and someone from the Associated Press took a picture of him picking up the water bottle and the suit that he wore is now in the Smithsonian because of his bravery. And one congresswoman, AOC, she was, she was so scared. Uh, but then she, she was mad because the police officer who told her to leave her office and go down the hall was kind of mean, kind of mean to her and did not escort her down the hall. So she was miffed about that. And it was just, the whole thing was just really, really awful. I I have nightmares about, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't in D-Day personally, but I imagine it was pretty close to that. I mean, or actually D-Day was probably pretty close to this. You know, you know, the invasion of Normandy it was probably on par. And the guy you're talking would look at you. He'd be like, well, clearly you're joking. What are you talking? Were any shots fired? Well, yes, shots were fired and killed one of the unarmed insurrectionists. But that's it. That's only the those are the only shots. The, the person who lived through the real insurrection would say that's not an insurrection. That is a silly a silly riot, maybe. Like I don't a, a riot. I don't even know that. Well, did did you rebuild the Capitol building? <laughs> I mean, I, I think they came out the next day and fixed up some stuff. I guess, yeah. They, they, so just enough already with January sixth. I don't like destruction because it's hard to build things. But January sixth should not be a day that lives in infamy. It should not be a day that the left is able to brand as a day. The fact that they call because it was it was interesting to see in the very beginning they were workshopping all these different terms. They start they called it a coup for a while and they're like, ah, that's weird. And then they, they had something there's some other word. It wasn't an insurrection, it was a, a coup. There was some other word like coup. Mm, but it was another weird word, it was like another French word or something. So it didn't quite work. So they landed on insurrection. They 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 focus grouped that and they're like, okay, this works. But they couldn't they had to they had to come up with a like a name for it. So J6. And we live in a country where most Americans can't tell you when D-Day was or Pearl Harbor Day, but they'll always be able to tell you what happened on J6. On the calendar forever, January 6th, for your whole life, you'll hear January 6th and it will trigger a thing. If I say January 5th, doesn't mean anything. January 7th, doesn't mean anything. But January 6th, ooh, January 6th, oh, oh, oh. 
And that'll mean something forever for the dumbest reason. So they're going to charge Trump with something. I don't even know. Like, I don't know when you, when you have video of Donald Trump at the speech. By the way, wasn't there a permit? Didn't he have a permit to speak? Like, to, to have a rally outside the Capitol? I think there was a permit. But there was, certainly there was a permit at his speech before down the street. And he said, everyone go peacefully and patriotically down to the Capitol and voice your opinion. <laughs> like, like, okay, case closed. Like, that, that, is that, that, wait, that's your commander? That's the commander of the... Remember at the CNN town hall the other day? The, the woman, whatever her name is, she tried to really pin him down on January 6th. And he pulled out of his suit jacket pocket tweets that he sent where he's telling everyone to respect law enforcement and treat law enforcement nice and, and be, be good and go down and right. Okay. That's it. That's the end of the case. What are you going to charge him with insurrection? I don't even know. Inciting a riot. I don't know. What do you even do? How do you charge the guy who said, go down and peacefully do a thing with inciting a riot? <laughs> Here's Trump deranged Jack Smith. The prosecutor with Joe Biden's DOJ sent a letter. Again, it was Sunday night. I don't know. I wonder what that is. I wonder if that means Sunday night. Stating I'm the target of the January 6th grand jury investigation, giving me a very short four days to report to the grand jury, which almost always mean an arrest, an indictment. They have been never ending. This has been a never ending fight since the day I came down the escalator in Trump Tower. Rather than looking at the cheaters, the weaponized DOJ and FBI target and harass those who complain about the cheaters and the massive fraud that took place. These are all hoaxes and scams made to stop me from fighting for the American people, but I will never stop. Nothing like this has ever happened in our country before or even close. This witch hunt is all about election interference and a complete and total political weaponization of law enforcement. It's a very sad and dark period for our nation. That's what he said. I don't know. I think that really got him this time. (laughs) I think the walls are closing in. I think that's the... But I'm actually, I'm actually curious about this. It's not going to hurt him at all. It's not going to affect him. But what are they going to accuse him of? I'm very fascinated by this. He wasn't commanding anything. There were no brigades and battalions. There were, he didn't put anyone in charge of the January 6th attack. There were no blueprints of the Capitol building. Although the, the FBI did get that guy who had a Lego model of the Capitol building. I mean, he had a Lego model in his house. So there was that. But there was no plan. What's the plan? There was no plan. (laughs) There was no plan for Trump. There was no plan for the Viking guy. There was no plan. Like, here's the deal. All right, here's my story. I refuse to act or react. I refuse to react to January 6th as if it was something that it clearly was not. I refuse to act to Jan- about January 6th as if Donald Trump secretly recruited a bunch of Navy SEALs and put together a special forces, like a special, whatever, like detachment. And as commander in chief, he ordered these SEALs to rappel down the side of the Capitol and bust through the windows like that scene in uh, Home Alone at the end of Home Alone, right? Like bust through the windows and with military SEAL Team 6 precision 
trap the senators, keep them contained in the Senate chamber until they agreed to President Donald Trump's demands to become a dictator for life. And when they refused, they would murder, execute one senator at a time until they did what he said. And then after they named Donald Trump president for life, they murdered all the senators anyway. There's just a bloodbath in there. And then Donald Trump rose to his throne and declared that he will be the, the dictator for the world forever. Like, I'm not going to live my life acting like that's what happened. And like, like one, of the, one of the things that the media does is, is they release this video of all these people under oath who worked for Trump saying, oh, where was he when this was happening? And they were like, oh, he was in the uh, cafeteria watching on TV. You're like, okay. What'd you want him to do? I don't like what, what was, oh, he was, can you believe he was watching it on TV? And so was everyone. Like, I don't know. What would, would you, what would you want to like go? I, could you imagine if he went there? First, I'm sure the secret service wouldn't let him go there. Second of all, they, if he went there, they'd be like, oh, look, he's commanding the, his minions. <laughs> so I don't like what, what's your, what's your get? I, but that, this is a bigger thing. Like I'm not, I'm not going to act like a thing happened that didn't happen. I'm not going to become hysterical over a movie that the left made up in their head and is doing the best they can to get other people to pretend like that's what happened. And maybe they wish that's what happened. I'm certain they wished that Navy SEALs repelled in the, right? Because it would only intensify the hatred of Trump, but it's not real. It's not what happened. I'm not acting like it did. So that's January 6th. So I think there's there's 37 indictment charges for Manhattan for the Stormy Daniels and then 34 for the uh, documents or is the other way around. It's 34, 37, 37, 34. And then I don't know how many, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know how many indictments are coming, like 12 or 1,000. And then he's still got the Georgia one. So maybe he'll get to 100 indictments. I hope he hits 100. The Georgia case I can't wait for the Georgia case because that is even stupider. The Georgia case is even stupider. So here's the deal with the Georgia. The official vote total in Georgia is Trump lost by 11,779 votes out of 5 million cast. He lost by 11,779. Uh, Biden had 49.47% of the vote. Trump had 49.24% of the vote. So after the vote, it was on January 2nd, Trump called, there's a big conference call with like the Georgia Secretary of State and all these other Georgia bigwigs, right? And there's this big phone call. It was an hour long. And you, th- you hear about this phone call and you think, geez, if only we had the phone call. It's the same thing with Trump's first impeachment. And remember like someone overheard the phone call with Zelensky? This is back when Zelensky was a bad guy. And... Um, they're, they're like, oh, it's a horrible phone call. Oh, if only you heard it. And then Trump the next day is like, mm, here's the transcript. <laughs> Here it is. Like, and same thing. Like, if only we had this phone call, so we could see exactly what was going on, what he said, how he said it, what the context was. Then that would clear the whole thing up. We would know what happened. If only we had it. Well, it turns out we do. The whole thing. An hour long, unedited phone call. There's nothing in it. The one line in question is when Trump told them, I just want to find 11,780 votes. So the left's fever dream in their absolute 
just like I, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen human beings act in such a unbelievably erratic. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, uh, bad thunderstorms, and we were outside. We're, and and uh, we we're gonna go to the pool, the community pool. They got closed because the thunderstorms. So we're walking back to the car, and my daughter, she's five. It got real, like it got dark and windy, and and just right before thunderstorms. I love it; it's my favorite weather. And she got scared. She got scared. Right? She, oh, I don't want to walk across the field. We had to go back to the car. I don't want to go walk across. And I was like, oh, daughter, it's okay. Right? She's five. Right? It's like that was a like a pretty rational response. A five year old girl like got pretty scary outside, pretty quick. She's five. Right? Like, okay. Uh, and we li- we used to live in Southern California. There's no thunderstorms, so she's never really seen a thunder. It's like her second thunderstorm in her life. So okay, like that's a rational response. I go over, help her. If it was a beautiful blue sky, sunny day, and she was scared to walk into a field because she thought she might get struck by lightning, that would be irrational. And that's what the, that's how the left is acting. They're like it's like wild irrational. Like we have the phone call. So. He says, I just want to go find 11,780 votes. In the left's total freak out panic, like a five-year-old scared of getting struck by lightning on a blue sky day. They interpret that as Trump saying, go fraudulently create 11,780 votes so that I can win. That's not what he meant clearly. He very clearly said, as you can tell by the phone call, here's a list of all these irregularities that add up to hundreds of thousands of votes between dead people voting, people, well, he said um, there were 11,325 people who had a vacant address. So their address, like they had an address but no house on it. There were 400, 904 people that had a P.O. box to register. You can't have a P.O. box. You had this many people who were dead. You had this many people who didn't live in the state anymore. You had this many people who this, this many people who that, this many people who blah, 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 blah. He's like adding them up and there's hundreds of thousands of people. And he's like, listen, you just gotta, you just gotta prove eleven thousand seven hundred eighty of them, and I win. There's hundreds of thousands, but you just gotta prove a little bit of them, and then we win. Just prove some of the fraud. Go out there, proves that there's some of the fraud, and then we win. That's all you need. Clearly, that's what he meant. Not, hey, listen, uh, Brad Raffensperger, I need you to hack into the system here. Okay, let's hack in. Just you know, click around a little bit. And uh, make up, make up eleven thousand. You know what I mean? That's so clearly not what he said. Here's part of the phone call. You tell me. So look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, eleven thousand seven hundred and eighty votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state, and flipping the state is a great testament to our country. Because you know. And there's, there's, there's just a, it's a testament that they can admit to a mistake or whatever you want to call it. If it was a mistake, I don't know. A lot of people think it wasn't a mistake. It was much more uh, criminal than that. But it's a big problem in Georgia, and it's it's not a problem that's going away. I mean, you know, it's not a problem that's going away. Uh, here is, by the way, is that pressure? Because you always hear, oh, he pressured him. Pressure would be do this or. I'll kill you. I, I don't know. Like, what's pressure? The, the only, the, the, these are the lines. I, I, I listen to most of them. The only line is, um, I can't believe I endorsed Brian Kemp, the governor. What a schmuck I was. <laughs> that was one. Uh, like, stuff like that. There was a line, Brad, you know, the only people who like you are the people who will never vote for you. Me and the Democrats. 
and, and he said people hate Georgia right now and they hate Kemp and they're not going to vote in the runoff. Like that was it. Like that's the pressure. And the fact that they're still going after that indictment proves that uh, they're all at that level of ridiculousness. Here's a 60-minute story about uh, the, the Trump phone call with the Georgia election officials. Here is the Secretary of State. He said he could still win Georgia if Raffensperger would play along. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes. What was the president asking you to do? He was asking us to recalibrate or recalculate, I believe it was, recalculate, um, somehow get a different answer. But I'm an engineer, and... uh, Anyone that's good with numbers knows you can calculate all you want, but the numbers are the numbers. No, he was asking you to go investigate all these fraud accusations to get the accurate number. Now, he Trump may have been wrong about his, about, like all those accusations may have been inaccurate. That's fine. But don't, you can't say, oh, he really, oh. So what are we going to do here, folks? I only need 11,000 votes, fellas. I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. But the words used by the president and the president's chief of staff, give me a break, cooperate, compromise. Were they asking you to join them in a conspiracy? Uh, I guess maybe they were just trying to intimidate me and and, uh, cajole me into something. It wasn't going to happen. Oh, poor Brad Raffensperger. All right, I'll wrap up on this. Uh, this guy on Twitter, Kane Kanakoa the Great, he made a nice little thread of 2016. Washington Post. So Donald Trump won in 2016, of course, right? Washington Post. The Constitution lets the Electoral College choose the winner. They should choose Clinton. I'd like to, can we, like, we got to edit this uh, segment here and we should send this to the special counsel. Um, they may be interested in this because this shows I got, I got evidence here of lots of people conspiring to overturn the results of a fair presidential election, a pre-COVID presidential election using faithless electors. I think Jack Smith would be interested in this. This is Chris Hayes on MSNBC. Fun fact, states decide how to apportion their electors. They could give them all to whichever candidate won the majority of counties, for instance. So forget about the popular vote. Chris Hayes on MSNBC says in 2016, forget about the popular vote, which is how electors are chosen. Let's do it with whoever wins the majority of each county uh, of the counties. So there's 30 counties in the state, whoever won the most counties, they get all the electors. How about that? Then they'll vote for Clinton. George Takei, if there was interference on the play, you don't count the touchdown. Russia meddled in our elections, says the CIA. Electors, do your job. Oh, is that cajoling? Lawrence Tribe, Harvard Law School. All it will take is 12% of the 306 Trump electors vote against a walking, talking, impeachable offense. Oh, all we need is 12%. Sounds pretty similar to Trump saying all we need is 11,780. Here's Lawrence Tribe, Harvard lawyer. All it will take, law professor, all it will take is 12%. Oh, it just that's all we need. And then you have all the celebrities. Mark, Mark Ruffalo, wake up America, you're being held by... Uh, the Trump Putin complex electors can save us. Uh, some actor. I'm pretty sure that the electors were created to stop a madman from becoming president. Rosie O'Donnell. Now's the time for all good electors to come to the aid of their country. Pink elector college, uh, electoral college electors make Hillary Clinton president. 
on December 19th. This is Chris Hayes talking to Michael Moore. I think there are people who are pushing very hard who think that um, because of some of the constitutional perils of the emoluments clause, uh, because of the popular vote margin, because of um, a fundamental, they think, threat to liberal democracy, that the, the, that electors should be persuaded and pressured on Monday to to part with what their pledge is and vote, and vote against Donald Trump. Yes, they absolutely you should do so? that. Absolutely. I've, I believe right now that there are electors. They only need 38 of them who have a conscience or who are worried about a man who won't attend the daily security briefings, who, uh, who we now know Russia was trying to help get elected. You got him. Jack Smith, you going to go after that? Uh, Vox, let conscientious electors do their job. The Daily Beast, it's not too late for the electors to change history. Slate, will enough electors go rogue to stop Trump? Time Magazine, electors against Trump are faithful, not faithless. Here's a bunch of celebrities doing that celebrity video thing where they stand in front of a white screen and they each say a couple sentences and then uh, it switches between all the celebrities. Republican members of the Electoral College, this message is for you. As you know, our founding fathers built the Electoral College to safeguard the American people from the dangers of a demagogue and to ensure that the presidency only goes to someone who is to an eminent degree endowed with the requisite qualifications. An eminent degree. Someone who is highly qualified for the job. The Electoral College was created specifically. All right, you got it. We went through the whole thing, right? All right, here's uh, a bunch of Democrats after the election of 2000, 2004, 2016, every single election saying there was fraud in the election. Uh, I was not in this body four years ago, uh, but what I observed uh, as a voter, as a citizen of Illinois uh, four years ago were troubling evidence of the fact that not every vote was being counted. What? Senator from New York. Mr. President, um, this is obviously a difficult debate for many reasons, uh, but I commend the senator from California uh, for joining with members of the House, most particularly Congresswoman Stephanie Tubbs-Jones, uh, in raising the objection because it does permit us to air some of these issues. Why did a computing error in Franklin County initially award 4,258 extra votes to George Bush when only 638 people had actually voted. Thankfully, they fixed it. But how many other votes did the computers get wrong? Too many voters have cast votes on machines that jam or malfunction or suck the votes without a trace. As we look at our election system, I think it's fair to say that there are many legitimate questions about its accuracy, about its integrity, and they're not confined to the state of Ohio. Wow, arrest that woman. Can you believe she's trying to destroy democracy? So, listen, that video is 20 minutes long. Do not think for a second that the Democrats would not be making the same claims and worse. And would not have stormed the Capitol themselves and would have been much more destructive if Trump won in 2020. Or, you know, if that water main didn't break in Georgia when they were counting the votes. And also the people who were counting the votes, they needed to go home. I'll never forget that one. It's like, ah, we stopped counting. Why'd you stop counting? It's late. (laughs) You know, we're tired. It's time. Hey, listen, we'll go home and take a nap. 
Come on, we'll go bright and early. We'll get up early. I don't know, 9, 10. We'll, go, we'll start counting. <laughs> like, what? What do you mean you're tired? Late? So don't think they wouldn't be doing the same. The difference is we didn't indict anyone for those accusations. Okay, we had four great interviews, uh, and a tiebreaker goes to Emma Joe because she's my favorite. So she is testifying in front of Congress tomorrow, and we talked all about why here. Emma Joe, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Well, yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be representing. That's <laughs> re- just just rep representing. Period. Yeah. Just representing. Repping about. my people. That's it. Right bar. Exactly. Beautiful. <laughs> how about that? Huh? That's pretty cool. Are you terrified? Actually, no. You know, I think so. It's going to be the same committee that I don't know if our listeners have uh, watched this one, but the Matt Taibbi hearing where they were talking about the Twitter files, it's going to be that committee. And the Democrats um, were just lashing these two journalists who did the Twitter files who came to testify, and they looked pretty shocked. Um, That was my impression that some of them uh, at some points, they looked pretty taken off guard. But I don't feel like I have that issue because unlike these guys, I've been a conservative my whole life, you know, and I've been watching the Democrats my whole life, and I kind of know exactly what they're about. Uh-huh. Where and and in their hearing, I think that they were a little bit like like they had been liberals up until five minutes before, you know. So they were watching uh-huh. these people being like, "What's going on? You know, why are they talking to me like this?" And uh, and I think I'm a little more prepared on that front. Wow, I'm not too a- nervous about the abuse. Wow, such a- <laughs> did you hear? Did you hear my riff about the guys who crossed the Delaware a second ago? Or no. no, I didn't. I, well, let me do it again in case people just tune in. We talked to Patrick O'Donnell, the Breitbart resident historian, about the guys crossing the Delaware River and the Revolutionary War. And and three different groups crossed. And the only one, the one with George Washington, made it. And I always thought that was just luck. Like, oh, what you know, unbelievable. Like, like, how lucky, how fortunate that it was the one with George on. And he's like, no, 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 not luck. Those guys who were, who were steering that ship, they spent their whole life as fishermen in the most dangerous section of, of the ocean. And they spent their whole lives preparing, and they didn't know it, but preparing for this moment where they could make it across the river the mile long through a nor'easter and get George Washington across. Wow, that's and, fascinating. Right? They weren't just like random lucky guys who happened to do it. They were ready. And that same thing right there. Like you're right. ready for this. Like you've been prepared. That's uh, it. That's it. I've been a fisherman in dangerous waters for many it. years. That's it. <laughs> Beautiful. Go like I like I hope you think of that right before you go in there. Maybe you get a little butterflies and you're like, I love oh, that anecdote. Slater gave me a little pep talk. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go in and, and ride it. Um so who was the other guy? It was it was Matt Taibbi. who was the other person who at the last hearing? Um Michael Schallenberger. So he oh, was the right. other uh journalist on the Twitter files along with Barry White. That's right, that's right, that's right. Uh so who are you gonna be up there with tomorrow? So I have a very interesting cadre <laughs> of uh of colleagues who are gonna be on this with me. Um one of them is obviously RFK. Um, who is under a lot of pressure right now. He's obviously in the middle of a PR um, situation um, after the New York Post story this weekend, uh, which I don't know if our listeners have read that one, but it's been causing a stir where he was at a dinner and he said that he thinks, or he read, or I don't know, that COVID was genetically engineered to 
spare um, Chinese people and Jews. So he's been receiving a lot of heat from that. I don't know about the veracity of that claim, but I think it is a great example of um, the power of free speech and an open internet where, you know, somebody can say something or express a thought or an idea and we can all hear it and draw our own conclusions about a, the idea and be the person saying it. Um, So I think that that's, that's, timely um, for the hearing. And then aside from him, I'm going to be sitting with Louisiana Department of Justice Special Attorney uh, uh, John Sauer. What's his deal? Um, He was involved in a lawsuit that's actually highly pertinent, I think a little more pertinent than the JFK reason um, for being there. Um, JFK is there because he was censored for COVID. Um, Opinions on Twitter, which, yes, relevant, but this guy... um, Sauer is, he was involved in a uh, federal lawsuit uh, with Louisiana and Missouri um, who jo- who joined to sue the Biden administration for their involvement in big tech censorship. And that federal judge actually just issued a ruling just the other day or maybe last week where he basically was like, appalled, the judge was appalled at the evidence that was presented in the case and issued an injunction against the White House from contacting social media companies because he said that he called it like, um, I think he said it was the something to the effect of the most aggressive affront on free speech that he's Mm -hmm. seen, um, where it was all the stuff from the laptop from hell, all the stuff from COVID, um, just the level to which the government bullies the social media companies to remove content was astounding. So that's going to be his um, lane to talk about that case. And the theme is obviously um, government censorship of uh, protected speech. Yeah. And they so, do it through social media companies. They basically farm out what they're not allowed to do themselves to private companies. Yes. I remember where I was sitting when I first saw your New York Post story. Uh, and could not send it. And I'm sure you remember where you were sitting when you realized that you could not send your story on Twitter. Um, So where's your head at? Like what's your, what's your goal maybe? I don't even know if that's the right, the right question, but like what's your, what are you doing in this moment? And obviously we know what you're doing, but like what's your real? I think that I have kind of like, I have, well, I have one major thing that I think is the most important point that I gleaned from my experience, which I guess is why I'm there. Um, You know, the thing that I learned was that the intelligence community and the security state have way too much influence in our public discourse, and that is not their role, and that is not their place, and it's completely inappropriate for them to have that that, um, participation, because these people... Um, not only are they spies, leave that alone, Um, they operate in total secrecy and they operate with total impunity. Mm -hmm. There's no elections for the head of the CIA. There's no elections for CIA agents. There's no elections for FBI agents. Um, And we don't know what these people are about. And yet they have tremendous power over what we can see, read, write and say. And um, we have a travesty that happened with the laptop from hell. Um, And that's one thing. But then from there, it's like, you know, I'm the kind of person where I don't like to harp. You know, that's just how I was brought up. So I don't like to harp. But what I'm thinking about now is, okay, this happened. It was devastating. It arguably moved an election. There's polling that shows that it did. 
Um, so where do we go from here? You know, how do we rectify this situation? I think the American people are reasonable people. And I think that they're outraged by what happened in October of 2020 with that censorship conspiracy, um, which was so outrageous, obviously, and so repulsive. But I think that the American people now are looking to say, okay, what is the solution? How do we move forward? How do we prevent this from happening again? Um, How do we put boundaries on the security state uh, from having the ability to essentially propagandize and run operations on the American people, which is Mm. obviously what happened? Oh, I got a ton of questions. First of all, when you say harp, do you mean brag? What do you mean? Say <laughs> no, you don't like I mean to harp? like I don't. I don't like to stay like you know looking backward. I don't like to stay um, dwelling. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. I, I only thought is that a Canadianism? I, no, sure, maybe against. I always get taken back. I, I like it. I'm endear- you, It's endearing. You're against, uh, but harp. I didn't <laughs> harp didn't register me. But I thought. I thought. I thought you meant brag because we were talking to Alex last week about you being. And I said, hey, you know what? What advice have you told Emma? Like, this is so super cool. And he said, uh, I told her to not be so humble and to, yeah, like, let it, like, let it go. Like, let it rip. So have you thought yeah, of that? Like, what yeah. does that look he, like? He you? has given me a few pep talks to that effect recently. I'm working on a couple of projects, but I'm sure the readers and, and listeners will be excited when we announce. But, um, yeah, and, and I'll be talking about things. And Alex is always my biggest cheerleader. Got a yeah. lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so... The security state. Let me ask you this first. We were talking earlier with Senator Marsha Blackburn and whatever. We're talking about transgender kids. And Louisiana passed a law that says we can't do uh, puberty blockers. The governor, the Democratic governor vetoed it, and they just overrode the veto, the Republican legislature. And the Democrats in Louisiana are calling this a phantom issue. Is that one of the comebacks against you that this is all just a Republican make-believe, kind of like child sex trafficking with Sound of Fury, this, Sound of Freedom? This is all just made-up stuff, Emma Joe. Like, pff, come on. Like, Twitter made a little mistake well, that's with a little thing. thing. Is like, right. So, okay, I would accept that. Accept that. <laughs> um, there's hundreds of members of the intelligence community who are currently working at Big Tech. Hundreds, okay? Mm-hmm. There's... There's um, the the there is a CIA agent who is an 18 year veteran of the CIA who is the head of elections at Meta, which is Facebook, Instagram. So you're not going to tell me that this is just a one off. It's not a one off. There's there's hundreds of these people crawling around. That's because of a Joe. They they, understand um, that's because they have the expertise to understand what a threat from Russia or someone else would look like. That's why they're there. Sure. But it would be one thing if you could prove to me that they were busting crime. But in the meantime, (laughs) I mean, I don't know that the most recent statistics up until the time Elon Musk bought Twitter, but while you had all of these agents um, working at, at, at Twitter, let's say, where they had, to the extent that they had a Slack channel called BU Alumni, um, Twitter is the biggest proliferator of child porn. So are you going to tell me that they were there busting crimes when you have the most egregious and repulsive crimes happening out in the open on the platform? You can't make that argument with that going on at the same time. No, no, no. These people are there as censors. Okay, 115 people from the intelligence community work at Meta. 115 people. That's a, that's a big staff of, of spies working at that company. There's 165 people in high-ranking positions 
from the intelligence community at Google. Are you like, like, I'm sorry, it's, it's not appropriate. I would understand working in collaboration and this judge actually in this case that I was mentioning at the top, the judge acknowledged that there are going to be times, many times where the government has to notify these social media companies of an imminent threat or of crimes occurring on the platform. But there's absolutely no reason why you would need 115 people who are former spies working at, at Meta. Uh, let me put my Democrat hat on. How dare you, witness, denigrate the hardworking people in our intelligence community and at Facebook who are working to protect the American people. And you come here in front of the American people and make a conspiratorial, unfounded charge such as this, suggesting that they are doing anything other than the utmost best work on behalf of today's marketplace of ideas. How dare you get up here and suggest that they are bad people doing bad things? I love it. You know that level of theatrics is going to be exactly how it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, that's that's fair. And, and I thought of that question in our, in our murder board sessions when we were kind of doing drills about what, what I might be asked. That's and, great. You know, that's like... You can assume what you what you want. I think it's it's like it, it's naive to assume that the security state and the intelligence agencies are just just patriotic Americans. You know, I'm sure they're stacked with patriots, but it doesn't mean that their behavior over the last few years has indicated that they have that goal. I mean, we watched the Russia hoax, which is a completely fabricated propaganda effort by the intelligence community. That was just three years ago or whatever. So I'm operating on that as my experience. And frankly, as a journalist, my natural, my natural disposition is to be skeptical of um, power and especially skeptical of power that is shrouded in total secrecy, which is the nature of the intelligence community. So um, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying they're bad people. I would never, um, I don't know them. Um, all I'm saying is that um, this is an organization that has a, a track record of deceit, of deceit um, has a track record of running intelligence operations internally. And um, either way, um, as government employees and as government officials, especially in intelligence, have no place, again, in the public discourse, which is what they're doing when they're working at these companies. They're taking a place in censorship, which naturally is, is critical in public discourse. Talking with Emma Jo Morris. Um, she is speaking tomorrow on the Senate Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. I just got a few more little tiny questions for you, Emma Jo. So, and there's like format, like I'm just curious, like the whole, like tomorrow, like your day tomorrow. Uh, but my last big picture question is who are you talking to? In your mind, when you're up there, are you talking to the Republicans up there? Are you talking to maybe that one Democrat who you may be able to get to? Are you talking to the American people? Are you talking to the audience of CNN? Are you talking to posterity, people who will look back on this transcripts in 50 years? Like, what's, who's your specific audience? Um, I would say my audience is, um, is the American people. You know, like, the truth is I was censored um, in a historic way. Um, I think that because of that, it casted an aspersion on my reporting, on me, in the minds of people who do trust the intelligence community. Um, and it was based on nothing. So, you know, I'm looking forward to just talking to the public with no filter, with no editing, with no cuts. Um, and they can get to know me. Uh, they can get to know my, my journalistic um, philosophy, the way I operate, how I speak. Um, and, and my take from 
really the epicenter of this scandal on what happened here. That's great. So tomorrow, it's at 9 o'clock. When do you have to get there and everything? What's, the, what's your day? I don't know. I'm actually not sure. I was about to talk to these guys. Um, you... I'd like to get there early because I need a little bit of time to get lost. Listen, I was going to say, I hate to be your mom on this if one. If you've but never you should... to the Capitol, it's very confusing. Yeah, you should know when you have to get there because it's pretty soon. Like, in, You'll be doing it in 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably get get in touch with somebody. Uh, okay. That. <laughs> yeah, like stop talking to me. Like, go call the person that tells you when you need to be there and stuff. Uh, Emma Joe, can't wait. We'll of course be watching, and uh, we're very, very happy. This is uh, a big moment, and uh, you'll do great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Uh, tomorrow, Christopher Rufo is going to be here. Love him. Uh, Christina Wong is going to be here. She's the Breitbart Foreign Affairs uh, correspondent talking about women in the military and transgender in the military and abortions for which like just a mess. And Senator Rand Paul is going to be here as well at 645. Senator Rand Paul talking about Fauci, cover up, COVID, all that. So that'll be great tomorrow. Breitbart News Daily, Sirius XM, 125, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern.